The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Even in these strange times, these difficult circumstances, the fact that God has given us opportunity and resources for us to worship together online is a strange and beautiful providence. We're glad that you're here with us. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jared Huffman, and I do hope to meet you as time goes on and when we're allowed out of quarantine. For now, though, if you have any needs at all, the church would want to know and know how we can pray for you and serve you, so please email me, jared at restorationsouthside.org. We would love to find ways that we can still bless and encourage each other even though things are difficult. We're continuing our study of Hebrews. This passage could have been picked for such a time as this. But by God's providence, it's the passage that we had next to study. So wherever you're at, with your family or friends, if you would, please grab your Bible or your iPhone, flip with me to Hebrews 11, 32-40. And if you would, please stand with me as I read God's Word for us together. Hebrews 11, 32-40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This passage comes on the heels of the Hall of Faith, which is commonly referred to in the Bible, Hebrews 11, and we'll actually get to that study eventually. But we're cutting here to the end. We're studying what it means that these people who were on the verge of giving up their faith of going back to the old ways of Judaism and Israelite worship. They were persecuted. It was about to get really ugly with Nero. And so they're about to give up. The author of the letter to the Hebrews speaks into this and reminds them what it looks like when God's people see more than is visible. When God's people hold out for a future they haven't yet experienced. Friends, this passage could have been assigned just for such a time as this. When people of God need to see what's not visible, 
need to hold out for something more, something better. We need to have faith in a future that we can't quite imagine. So we turn our study to God's Word. Please be seated and let's pray. Lord, would You have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank You and I praise You for Your Word and Your Holy Spirit. I thank You for Your kindness to allow us to gather even in the midst of such strange times. Would You, by Your Holy Spirit, move in the hearts of Your people? Would You cause us to deepen in our faith amidst trials and tribulations Would You cause us to have faith and then act on that faith as Your people have done for so long? Would You please cause Your Son's Gospel shining light to be evident to the world around as we suffer through this coronavirus? It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Friends, one of my favorite Bible commentators a man named Tom Wright tells the story in reference to this passage about an anecdote that exists about Teresa of Avila. She was a 16th century Spanish mystic. At one point in her life, she was confronting God about her own suffering and her own difficulty. And apparently from God, she received the response, this is how I deal with my friends. Teresa of Avila, frustrated with the response that she received, said back to God, well, in that case, don't be surprised if you don't have very many friends. Friends, we could feel like that now. Why is God calling us to these difficulties? Why is God calling us to this suffering? Why are we facing this? The writer went on to say this, why should it be like this? What's wrong? Why, if God was at work in the lives of Gideon and Barak and Samson and the rest and those who were stoned and sawn in two and so on, why, if God was calling them and was with them, did they have to go through all that? We could ask the same question now. Why do we have to go through all this? Have you ever felt that way? Why am I going through this? Why am I going through this job loss? Why am I going through this lack of income? Why am I going through this virus? Why am I going through this infertility? Why am I going through this miscarriage or this divorce or this cancer or this humiliation? Why, if God is with me and God was calling me to this, why do we have to go through all this? To encourage you, it's a normal sentiment. If God is in control of all things, and yet our world is full of suffering, those things seem to be in conflict with one another. So don't beat up on yourself for experiencing that. It's a normal sentiment in the world in which we live. Job experienced this. Why do I suffer, God? Paul experienced this. Why, God, with the thorn? Why? Even Jesus Is there any other way, God? Is there any other way that you can make this happen? As we look at the Bible, we can be encouraged that through many difficult circumstances, 
through many tragedies, through many painful experiences, God can work through those things to meet our needs. God can use things that are evil and sinful or broken and work through them to bring good. He's always been doing that. Just like the people in Hebrews, we struggle when we're suffering to hold on to faith. But because of who Christ is, we must not give up. Let's look in this text together. There's several things that I want you to see. First of all, I want you to see these people of faith that it draws our attention to. Again, we're going to come back to verses 1 through 31 and talk even more about the heroes. But let's think for a second just about this, about what God is doing with these people. What God is doing in this time. It's almost as if the author to the letter of Hebrews feels like he's running out of time. He says this, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice attained promises. These people that he mentions have demonstrated in Scripture two things. One is that they had moments of being faithful, but also that they were very fallen. And we'll talk in a minute why that's encouraging. First of all, they were faithful. Do you remember the story of Gideon? Gideon is the story of, that comes from the judges where Gideon has 32,000 troops, and he's told that he needs to take on the Midianites. But by God testing Gideon, testing his trust in God. He whittles down these 32,000 people. Ultimately, there's 300 people left to defeat the Midianites. And because Gideon believes God, they go and win this battle with 300 people. Gideon was faithful to believe when it was difficult to. Or how about Barak? He obeyed God through the messenger of Deborah when he went to defeat 900 chariots and Thousands and thousands of soldiers, even though he had less. Or how about Samson? Samson, this person who is famous in the Bible because of some of the stories that we know about him. But Samson ultimately humbles himself under God. Samson, at the end of his life, prays this prayer while he's being mocked and persecuted and ridiculed. Samson prays, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he actually lived. Samson, in a moment of faith nearing the end of his life, believes that God can still work. Despite the shame, despite the humiliation, despite the difficulty, he trusts in God. And what about in Jephthah? Jephthah defeated the Ammonites. He saved Israel. He was called back for help. And he answered the call even though he was frustrated about it. And because of him, he saved Israel. The reason that I point out to you 
these heroes that the author mentions here in verse 32 is that each one of them believed God when it was hard to believe God. Each one of them thought that God would do more, be more for his people than it seemed like he was being or doing. What that means to you is that what you're doing matters. Your faith actually matters. Your faith that God will meet your needs in the time of the coronavirus. Your faith that God will walk alongside your children and and make them His own even when you're discouraged about the behavior. Your faith that God can restore your marriage as broken as it is. Your faith that God will meet your needs financially during such a difficult time. Your faith that God still acts. You see, these, these people believed in something more than themselves. And they acted. And so what I want to encourage you is that whether you're changing diapers or going to the grocery, that these things done in faith are in service to God. That what you're doing actually matters. That you're part of restoring people and places all through the world. And that that happens in small ways where God calls us to follow. And despite our tendency, we actually get up and follow Him. What if the world could see the church right now follow God in uncomfortable times and in uncomfortable ways? What would they think about our God if what we were known for is not those that would retreat, those that would self-protect, but those who would appropriately and discerningly help others, live generously, live sacrificially, believe that God still moves? Friends, what you're doing matters. So these people did have faith, and they did act in their faith. But I want you to also see that they were deeply flawed people. Deeply flawed people. And that's where we have camaraderie with these people. The people that are following God are always people with really serious problems. So it's okay that you have flawed faith. Jesus is the only one ever who had faith and wasn't flawed. John Calvin said this about this particular set of Scripture. He said, Then the apostles ascribes all that was praiseworthy in them to faith, though there was not one of them whose faith did not halt. Gideon was slower to take up arms than what he would ought to have been, nor did he venture out without some hesitation to commit himself to God. Barak at first trembled so that he was almost forced by the reproofs of Deborah. Samson, being overcome by the blandishments of a concubine, inconsiderately betrayed the safety of the whole people. Jephthah, hasty in making a foolish vow and too obstinate in performing it, marred the finest victory by the cruel death of his own daughter. Hear him say this. Thus, in all the saints, something reprehensible is ever to be found, yet faith, through halt, though fate, excuse me, yet faith, though halting, and imperfect is still approved by God. There is therefore no reason why the faults we labor under should break us down or dishearten us, provided we by faith go on in the race of our calling. What Calvin is saying this is if if you have to be perfect in order to follow God in faith, none of us will be able to do it. Some of you are saying, but I've struggled too long with addiction. 
I've done some really shameful things. I'm really not up for the task. I'm really not a good person. I really do a lot of selfish, silly things. Well, friends, welcome to the island of misfit toys. Have you failed him? Have you done what you promised you would never do? Those closest to Jesus fail Jesus. It's okay, it's okay that you are flawed and yet still have faith. Remember, friends, after God gave Eve to Adam, Adam tattled on his wife. After God gave the rainbow to Noah, Noah got drunk. After God gave up gave Abraham the promise of land and children, Abraham gave up his wife twice, two times to another man. And after God saved Moses from the Egyptians, Moses claimed God's power and glory for himself. After God made David king of all Israel, David committed adultery and had someone murdered. After God let Solomon build the temple, Solomon's great temple from the Old Testament, Solomon accumulated 700 wives. After God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah ran from God. After Jesus said the first shall be last, his disciples had an argument over which one of them was the greatest and who would sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. Friends, the gospel is not the end of your flaws, but the gospel is the end of your need to hide your flaws so that you can be honest so that we can follow him as flawed as that we are, holding out for something better, holding out in faith. You see, these people of faith had moments of faithfulness, and that's why your faith, small and feeble as it might seem to you, your faith and action matters. And your flaws are never to discount the fact that you're still walking behind Jesus, following him. You see these heroes of the faith, these people of the faith, but you also see the works of faith in this passage. Look again with me in verses 33 and 30 through 35. He says, Who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered and mocked and flogged and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword, and they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. That was through 37. The works of faith. You see, the people of faith, they can do the right thing even though they are flawed. And the works of faith is the sense that God is going to do something more than I can imagine. Kent Hughes says it like this. He says, therefore, faith is a dynamic certainty of two certitudes. Dynamic certainty of two certitudes. A future certitude that makes one sure of the future as if it were present. And the second one is a visual certitude that brings the invisible within view. The invisible within view. He's saying that because of verses 1 through 3 in Hebrews 11, which says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For if by the people of old received their commendation, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That's where Hughes pulls those two 
departments, those two ideas that one is certainty of a future that's as if it were present, and the other one is a visual certitude, meaning you believe in your heart that there's invisibly things going on around you that is more than just the visible. First of all, the future despite the present. All of these heroes that he mentioned the quenched, the power under fire, the escape, the edge of the sword were made strong out of weakness. They had this sense that following God meant more to them than their current circumstances because they were holding out for something better, something more beautiful, someone more beautiful. It's this sweet sense that they didn't think what they could see with their eyes was the whole thing. What that they could envision was the whole thing, but there was something more for them future, believing in a future despite the present. What that means for you and me, that means is that this corona isn't all there is. When Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, is that this son being sacrificed on the cross, innocent as he is, isn't all there is. There's more to the story. So for you to think, my financial situation, there, this isn't all there is. My health, this isn't all there is. There's more to the story. Friends, since our church started coming up on a year ago, we have been in a difficulty regarding building and space and where to meet and a contract that we had to get out of. We have lost Ted Strawbridge. We have lost Ryan Lindsay. And now we can't even gather together. There are moments in the back of my head that I think, is this the end? Is this how Restoration Southside lived and briefly died? But we are called to remember something more, that there's more going on than what we're presently experiencing. There's future things to be held on to in the midst of a blurry present. That's what he's calling them to do, to see the future despite the present. And he's also calling them to see what is invisible despite what is visible. You see, they were resting in what they could not see. That's what he says in 11. Hear it one more time. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What he's saying is that they know that what their eyes can tell their brain is not all that's happening. Ted Strawbridge, in talking about the Hebrews book, said this, God was trying to encourage them that they've not been forgotten. They've not been left. That suffering is an inauguration into this kingdom of this party that will last forever. He said, the world is not merely what we see. Now to a people who are hurting and suffering and persecuted, what do you think that meant to them? That the world is not merely what we see. Ted said, present physical suffering is not all there is out there. It may be that you have never quenched the violence of fire, as Spurgeon says. Yet often enough it has been true that by faith, out of weakness, you have been made strong. So the people of faith show their faith even though they're flawed. And they believe in the future despite the present. They believe in the invisible despite what is visible. Because they know that this present physical suffering is not all there is out there. What 
encouragement that is for people like us who are gathering on the internet. That what we see, what we conceive of going on, there is much more happening in that God is at work. We're to believe in that. I want you to hear Calvin be honest about the difficulty with believing in unbelief. He says this, they seem to be inconsistent, yet they do perfectly harmonize when we speak of faith. For the Spirit of God shows to us hidden things, the knowledge of which cannot reach our senses. Promised to us is eternal life, but it is promised to the dead. We are assured of a happy resurrection, but as of yet, we are involved in corruption. We are pronounced just, and yet sin dwells in us. We hear that we're happy, and yet we're in the midst of many miseries. Abundance of all good things is promised to us, but we still often hunger and thirst. God proclaims that He will come quickly, but He seems deaf when we cry to Him. What would become of us were we not supported by hope And did our minds emerge out of the midst of darkness above the world through the light of God's word and of his spirit? Faith then, here he defines it for us. Faith then is rightly to be said the subsistence or substance of things which are as of yet objects of hope and the evidence of things not seen. The future, God has more in store for you. And also, what you're seeing right now isn't all there is. You see these works of faith. You also see them suffer for their faith. You see them suffer for their faith. And I want to make a quick aside here for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Bible or unfamiliar about who Jesus is. And sometimes Christians can say really unfortunate things to people who are hurting and suffering. They can try and make it better, but actually make it worse. So what I want to tell you is is that as someone suffers, they need your prayers, they need your love, they need your arms around them, even if you're six feet away. They need to know that you care and that you want to encourage them. It's not always right to take someone deep into a theological truth in the midst of their suffering. And yet, when we are gathered together for the preaching of God's Word, there are things that we need to hear. It's important for us to hear, even if it's not a way that we would have said it in a moment of friendship and counseling. And the truth of the matter is, friends, is God uses suffering to advance His kingdom. Now, if you sit with me and you tell me something really heavy and really hard, I promise that's not the words that will come out of my mouth then that God uses suffering to advance His kingdom. But the reality is, as we zoom out, what we need to have as the backdrop to our faith is that even suffering can't throw God off His track. These people that were suffering were always bearing the unbearable. Listen to it again. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that others might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated. But they're bearing the unbearable. And that's hard. And God is actually saying they're, unbearing, they're bearing the unbearable for me. Because they have faith. 
Their faith is actually leading them to take on more than they can handle. And regardless of the fact that that's hard to hear, we so desperately need to hear it when we're suffering, is that yes, God has called His people to suffer. The Bible says it has been granted for you to suffer on my behalf. Jesus said the world hated you, it's going to hate me too. Friends, we are called to suffer and suffer in this life and suffer because we are Christians. What the discerning and wise eye does is it looks far into the future. Looks far into the future. And it says, God can use even this to bring me good and Him glory. We are called to suffer. And God will not leave us there. But it will be difficult. Kim Fook, who is famous for being the napalm girl, If you haven't heard about her, she's famous from a Vietnam War photo. But she's running naked towards the camera, away from disaster and destruction. And that that photo sort of encapsulated her life. The things that she had lost, the things that uh, she'd been burned and she'd been tortured by the wounds of the napalm. Much later in life, she became a Christian And reflecting back on horrible public suffering, she said this, Those bombs have brought me immeasurable pain. Even now, some 40 years later, I'm still receiving treatment for burns that cover my arms and my back and my neck. The emotional and spiritual pain was even harder to endure. And yet, looking back at the past five decades... I realized that those same bombs that brought me so much suffering also brought great healing. Those bombs led me to Christ. I was as alone as a person can be. I could not turn to a friend for nobody wished to befriend me. I was toxic and everyone knew it. To be near me was to be near hardship. Wise people stayed far far away. I was alone atop a mountain of rage. Why was I made to wear these awful scars? I grew up hearing the proverb, a tree wants to be alone, but the wind always whips it here and there. And that was me, a wind-whipped tree. And I feared that I would never stand upright again. And nearly half a century has passed since I found myself running, frightened, naked and in pain down that road in Vietnam. I will never forget the horrors of that day. The bombs, the fire, the shrieks, the fear. Nor will I forget the years of trial and torment that followed. Listen to what she says. But when I think about how far I have come, the freedom and peace that comes from faith in Jesus, I realize there is nothing greater or more powerful than the love of our blessed Savior. My faith in Jesus has enabled me to forgive those who have hurt and scarred me. It has enabled me to pray for my enemies rather than to curse them. It has enabled me not to just tolerate them, but to truly love them. I will forever bear the scars of that day. And that picture will always serve as a reminder of the unspeakable evil of which humanity is capable. That picture defined my life. And in the end, it gave me a mission, a ministry, and a cause 
Today, I thank God for that picture. Today, I thank God for everything, even for that road, especially for that road. Do you hear a wise and discerning saint who have gone through much? To look back at her life was not just to look at the highlights, but to look back at her life was to look at where things were the worst, the cloudiest, the blurriest, the darkest, the most painful. And to conclude that God was still present, that God still met her needs. In fact, God used that suffering to draw her in closer to Him. Now friends, I'm not going to say that kind of faith is easy. It's hard. It's like the boy's father comes to Jesus and says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. But when I see faith like that woman, when I see my friends who are shepherding in different places all across the country, when I see the things that they're doing to meet their people's needs, it makes me, it stirs up my own faith. It makes me say, I'm grateful for them and I want to join them in their fight. You see, there was always going to be suffering in our faith. We're always called to bear the unbearable. And the comfort is that as we bear the unbearable, we also have the admiration of God. And I really want you to hear that. We have the admiration of God Himself. Look with me in verse 16 of Hebrews 11. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Can you imagine that in the trial of both living flawed but also living in faith that God looks down on them and says, I'm not ashamed of these people. You know why the Hebrew writer chose those words? It's because he thinks that you and I would struggle with walking around in shame following God. And he says, I'm not ashamed of you. Of course it's hard to believe. Of course it's difficult. I'm not ashamed of you. He wants us to know that as we follow him despite Everything we see temporally, it makes him smile. It says this in 39, also showing that we have the admiration of God. And all these, though commended through their faith, that means all of these are examples, all of these are an encouragement to you. God sees them as something to be looked up to. So God's commending them to us. So we know we have his smile because he's not ashamed of us, because he's commending heroes to us. But there's another one, another phrase here I want you to see. And look in verse 38. He describes everything these people have been through in order to follow Christ. And he says, of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. One commentator says the world didn't deserve them. The world, no doubt, would look at them and see some apparently very odd people living what appeared to be an extreme form of asceticism, a countercultural lifestyle. From God's point of view, these were the beginning of the new world. When you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're suffering, when you're beat down, when it's hard to believe, know that God smiles. God loves to see His people take His word over theirs. That God says, these people, because they believed in me, this world isn't even worthy of them. 
when you suffer, you won't come up short. You won't come to the end of time and the end of history and say, this was a raw deal. Instead, you'll delight as you walk into glory and God says, well done, my good and faithful servant, because you believed when it was easier not to. We do suffer, but to encourage us, we have the admiration of God. And then lastly, let's close this study together, looking in verse 39 through 40. It says this, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect first thing he's saying there is that there's communion with us. With us. The people here in this story, but also us now. God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What he's saying is that Adam and Abraham and Moses and David, that their faith wasn't fully experienced. Their faith wasn't fully completed. It wasn't perfect because they were looking ahead to something more. But our faith looks back to something that we already have. He provided something better for us. So when you're discouraged, remember that you are not the only person who's been discouraged. You are not the only person who's wanted to give up. You are not the only person who has sinned in following Christ. We have a long list of people who have done that. But I also want you to see this sense of being completed in Christ. They were longing forward. We're looking backwards. And which one of those is better? He says that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What he's saying is as good as it was that they showed faith in difficulty, as powerful as that was, they still didn't know what they were clinging to. It was imperfect. It wasn't completed. It wasn't fully mature yet because they were looking better for better things and didn't know what that was. And he said it's so much better for us. You know you know what we were looking for, and it's Christ. The Christ who would hang on the cross and say, forgive us our sin, forgive them their sins, they know not what they do. Christ who would hang on the cross and say, it is finished, there's nothing more that needs to be done to bring my people to God, it's finished. We have it better than they did because we've seen the real thing, we've seen the better. And when you're discouraged, remind yourself of that. If God took my biggest problem ever, being a sinner, being broken, being sad, being hurt, if God took my biggest thing ever, which is distance from God, and He took me up on that and made me His own and forgave me and accepted me, how much more so shall I be encouraged that He'll meet my smaller needs too? In other words, if God would do all the work of rescuing you by putting His own Son to death so that you could live with Him forever, how much more can you trust Him in what is much simpler for Him to give you? Friends, the study of people that believed even though it's hard to believe. These people were faithful sometimes and flawed sometimes. Just like you and me. Faithful, doing some things right and flawed, doing other things wrong. And yet they put their trust in Christ despite what they could see. Despite what future was hidden from their eyes. 
they believed. And they did suffer. And there's validation in hearing that as you follow Christ, you will suffer. Anyone telling you different is wrong. You will suffer. But that God sees your suffering and admires it. Can you imagine? These people were looking for something more. We have what is more in Christ. And that's what we're supposed to cling to. John Piper was once asked about the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, that if you're following God and you're doing it correctly, then God will bless you and give you resources and give you influence and give you money. And he was asked about how, what he thought of it, and he said, it's false, it's ridiculous, and we're giving it away to other countries. He said, God is not glorified by someone who trusts in Him despite everything because of everything going well. He said God is glorified in His people when they have no reason to trust Him and trust Him still. Piper says this, when you smash your car and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and lands dead on the street and you say through the deepest possible pain, God is enough. He is good. He will take care of us. He will satisfy us. He will get us through this. He is our treasure. That is what glorifies God. Friends, as we suffer together in the midst of the coronavirus and whatever else will happen to us over the next 50 years, let us be a people who clings to God because we know that there's something better coming, our future with Him in heaven. And because we know that there's more going on than we can see. And we know that we follow Christ into difficult places. God gets the glory. And his name becomes great. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you and I praise you. That you've given us faith. This thing to use our hands to cling to. The fact that there is more going on than we can see. There is more that you're doing than we know about. I pray that you'll help us to take comfort in the fact that our faith matters in small things and big things and that you know that we're flawed and that doesn't disqualify us. I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on what is invisible and a future that's not yet here. And pray that you would help us in the midst of suffering to remember that we have your admiration. We have your abilities to sustain us because we know what your son Jesus did we know that he took the blows of justice that we deserve so that he could give us the crown of righteousness that he deserved we pray God that you'll make us a people of faith and a people of action who trust you and do good for those around us for the sake of your son Jesus It's in his name that we pray. Amen.